Welcome to the Renew the Arts podcast, where we discuss the role of art and creativity in the church and in the world. We are Michael Minkoff and Allison Knight, your hosts for this art history theme season three. Our mission at Renew the Arts is to liberate Christian creativity. At renewthearts.org, you can see how you can get involved in the creative revival that is currently happening in the church. In the last five years, we've given away more than $200,000 in sponsorship value to Christian artists dedicated to their craft and to their faith. If you like what we're doing, please support our efforts by joining our patron community and perhaps by sponsoring a podcast episode. For more details, visit our website or reach out via email. Is art history really all that important? It seems like a rather obscure and dusty discipline. Do I really need to understand the history of art in order to make it or enjoy it? Well, of course art history is important. It is not just about the art of the past, but is directly relevant to the art we consume today. It is about how the art we're currently receiving fits into a larger artistic conversation. And without our history, our understanding of art will be shallow and our creation of art will be rootless. Well, today we're going to talk about this and quite a few other things as we set up our special art history themed third season of the Renew the Arts podcast. This is Why is Art History Important for Christians? So, welcome to season three. We are going to do a themed season for this season. So, 10 episodes on one theme. We hope you enjoy it. It's going to be about art history, which we think is really important. And so, for this special season, we have invited Allison Knight to come on and be a guest co host. And, uh, Allison, tell us a little bit about what initially sparked your interest in art history. Yeah, so I, uh, I've always loved art. I think art is truly its own world, um, and we are impacted by art every single day. I specifically fell in love with art history in college. Um, that is what my degree is in. And I remember uh, I was trying to decipher if I wanted to pursue the arts um, and what specifically that would look like, but... I remember taking an art history course, and and I was just fascinated by being able to study history, but through a visual lens, um, that I could visually see history on, on a PowerPoint. And um, that was captivating to me, and I was captivated by the people um, and culture. I was captivated by the stories. I was captivated by the techniques that were used to, to talk about history uh, through art. And I remember specifically, I was sitting in an art history course, and um, and as a Christian, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in art history, and I'm, I'm looking at paintings, and I'm, I'm looking at religious paintings, and I'm viewing them through a lens of the gospel, trying to at least, you know, in a secular environment. But we were studying a painting by Caravaggio, and it was The Sacrifice of Isaac. And beautifully rendered, um, and our professor was kind of telling the story about, you know, Abraham and Isaac and their relationship, and and his point was was really just that in in this painting, it's, it's just a representation of, um, it's a representation of faith. You know, God was testing Abraham's faith, and, and was he going to be obedient to sacrifice Isaac on the altar? 
And as a believer, I remember sitting there thinking, there's just so much more to this story uh, that are that this professor's missing. And he wasn't a Christian. I couldn't blame him for that. But, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, this is about this is about Jesus. You know, that this is a foreshadowing of what is to come. This is a promise of a Messiah. And Abraham is just a, a physical evidence, a representation um, to the people of Israel, sacrificing his only son. Um, and, and God did that for us in Christ. And so I remember thinking, wow, there's so much richness in art history. And it is sad to me that we're talking about art history we're talking about a painting, and we're missing the whole point of what this artist is communicating because we don't even know the biblical story. And, um, and so I think for me, the passion really started with, as a believer, I'm, I care about the biblical stories, and I care about how art is reflecting them in our current society. And uh, my passion truly is with theology, it's with faith, and it is with how that intersects with art and, and in our culture. Yeah, so we met at uh, RTS, yes. uh, Reformed Theological Seminary in Atlanta, because you work there currently, and I didn't have any idea that you were interested in arts when we first met, because you were just, you know, working in the offices there. And then when uh, you found out about the work that we were doing, yeah. we knew the arts, and you were really interested. And I was like, oh, okay, that's great. And so we started having these conversations, and uh, and so I thought, hey, let's art history is really important. In fact, art history is vitally important mm -hmm. for Christians to understand sort of their place in the larger stream, both of philosophy and art and history. And a lot of people might think of art history as being sort of just like history, meaning a, a study of the past is sort of disconnected um, when it's taught badly, especially mm -hmm. uh, from our present time. But uh, when we think about art history... Well, actually, I mean, we really just need to talk about it right, <laughs> in this first <right>. episode. What exactly <laughs> what is, is art, art history? Why is it important? Um, but first, before we can talk about why it's important, let's talk about what it actually is. Right. So, so give us a give us a brief description of what art history is, and maybe let's talk a little bit about how it differs from history proper. Like the people might be familiar with the study of history. How does art history differ from that? Yeah. So. You know, this will sound silly, but art history truly is studying history through art. Um, era after era, we have people in every culture who have created art that is reflective of their time. Art is always communicating something. And historically, art is a communication of what is happening presently. And so, so really, we're, we're learning history as we are viewing art from all different kinds of era. We're learning about these people's um, ideologies, their philosophies, their religion. They're, we're learning about everyday life when we look at their art. We learn so much about culture. And on top of that, you know, you're studying history through art, but there's also art history in that there is a history to art, and we're gonna we're kind of gonna we're gonna dive into a little bit of both. We're gonna talk about history, but we're also gonna talk about how has art evolved throughout history, and um, and how has it continued to shape culture, and how are we today still being impacted by art, and how are we to be involved in art? 
So that's a really interesting thing that even his, historians might talk about is not just how history is representative of a past time, but also how it's influential on the present time. Right. And I'd say with art history, even more so than with history proper, what has been done has great influence on what's being done. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the distinctions, I think, between history proper and art history, is that when you're talking about art history, you're incorporating both a philosophical as well as a historical component. You're talking about movements, and you're also talking about the way that the present art is actually in conversation with or in reference to art that's already been made. Exactly. There's never going to be an artist that just appears, you know, okay, there's going to be very few <laughs> artists who just appear on the scene and start doing something that is completely disconnected right. from what's already been done. Right. Even if a person gets a canvas and they start painting on this canvas, it's like, why did you have the idea of right. painting why did you have the idea of painting on a canvas? Mm -hmm. Like, you're already entering into a stream that's been well-established, uh, you know, different modes and genres and mediums techniques. that have already been, techniques that have already been established, and you're having to interact with those things. Exactly. Um, the best art is always going to be in conversation with those things. Exactly. And so it's really important, not just for understanding what has been, but also understanding what has been and how it influences what is. Exactly. And so, and because of art's very unique uh, ability to influence philosophy and culture in the present time, it's important to know where we've been mm -hmm. because you start to understand it's not just a representation of that culture, it is also creating culture as it goes. Exactly. And so there's this weird circular thing that's going on with art history that's maybe significantly different than history proper. It's, you know, you have, you know, Santayana, those who fail to study history are doomed to repeat it mm -hmm. kind of a thing. I don't think that really works in art history no. to the same degree because most artists who are functioning at a high level are familiar yep. with the history of and, their art. And you look at art history and it does repeat itself. It does. You, and you're repeating. It's, it's full yeah. of intellect and it's full of emotion. And it's it just goes in this cycle and it's directly influencing each other. And so as believers, as Christians, as artists... It is so important for us to to know where we're coming from and how where we're coming from is going to influence the future. Right. So art history as representative of the past and also influential on the present for the creation of what will come into the future. Exactly. So it's really it's an extremely important study for culture making and culture care. And that's one of the reasons we're so interested in it, mm -hmm. not just so that we can find out some cool stuff that happened in the past or have a greater appreciation for things that have happened in the past, although that's part of it. It really has to do with if you're going to be an informed creator and, and caretaker of culture in your present day, you need to be familiar with the ways in which what you're doing now is in conversation with what's already been done. Exactly. So we're going to talk about that. And so, um, why is art history important? And really, why is art history important for different audiences? So, you have, uh, obviously, you have just your general audience of individuals who might consume art, but then you also have artists who are also, they make up an audience for art history mm -hmm. as well, that artists will study art, and it gives them some idea of where to go. But um, tell us a little bit, what, why is art history important? Yeah, I think uh, for... For individuals specifically, um, I know growing up and just friends and family, so often people go to a museum or 
are influenced by art in our world, um, and they don't and they don't really understand it. They don't understand the context. They don't understand the subject matter. They don't understand what the artist is getting at, what the artist is trying to communicate. They're confused as to what they're supposed to feel by it. Um, and so I think really, you know, when you're when you're walking through a museum, <clears throat> excuse me, it's it's a beautiful thing to have some context when you're looking at a painting on a wall. And you don't have to know who the artist is, but you might recognize um brushstrokes from a certain era, or you might recognize um, an emotion that comes up for you. And you're able to, when you have some history and context behind behind art, behind cultures, um, you can interact with art and to, you can appreciate it. You ha- can have a better taste for it uh, because you, you've seen it before. Mm-hmm. Um, you can understand it a little bit better. Um, yeah, and I think kind of attendant to that, this idea of developing discernment, which right. uh, we really want to do. We want to help people as much as possible to develop discernment when it comes to the things that they're consuming, mm-hmm. um, the things that they're commissioning, because really consuming is commissioning. Right. And so <clears throat> we've talked about this a good bit, but if you buy a piece of art, you're really telling the, the market, you know, <laughs> in a general right. abstract sense, you're really telling them, please make more of this. Right. And... A lot of the art that's being made right now shouldn't be made. That's just a fact. And mm-hmm. if it shouldn't be made, then it shouldn't be bought. Because yeah. when you're buying it, you're saying make more of it. Mm-hmm. And if you are familiar with what's already been done, it's really likely that you're going to be uh, more discerning about what you commission. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about so much art out there that's really derivative, that shows no great original or creative vision, that's not even trying to enter into a conversation in an intelligent way, most consumers should be able to say, oh, that's just a knockoff or a ripoff of so-and-so, right? Right. <laughs> and so I remember this story. My wife is uh, has much greater discernment than I do uh, in, when it comes to certain kinds of music. She has more familiarity with all that's gone on in that particular genre. So, for instance, with Afro-Cuban music, Hmm. my wife is much more familiar than I am. So, I remember listening to this band. I don't even remember the name of the band. But I heard it, and it vaguely sounded like something my wife would like because it had this Afro-Cuban feel to it. And I remember uh, burning the CD and showing it to my wife and being like, oh, you're going to be really interested in this. And I remember she was like, eh, this is not very good. <laughs> and uh, later on, she found the CD, didn't know what was on it because it was a burned CD and I didn't label it. So she puts it in the CD player to listen to it, to figure out what it is. And she she hears that same trash that she didn't like in the first place. And she takes it out and she writes Fela Kuti ripoff band on the CD. And I remember that was such a, a, a representative picture to me of the difference between discernment and not discernment, mm. because she had familiarity with Fela Kuti, this, this uh, trumpetist in the Afro-Cuban genre. She was able to see these per- people aren't really adding anything to the conversation, and so she rejected it on that basis. Mm. This has already been adequately well done by other people. These guys aren't really adding anything to that overall dialogue, and so she rejected it. She would never would have bought that record. She never would have had that record be made. That doesn't mean <laughs> that she's infallible. It does mean 
that the more familiar you are with what's already been done, the more discerning you become right. with what you commission. Right. Where it's like, I don't see any great addition in what you're saying. It's, it's like with any conversation. Uh, if somebody doesn't have anything of great insight to add to and to further a conversation, you say, stay out of it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you don't, you're, you're just adding needless words here. And so the same thing happens with art. And we would love to see the church become a place again of such refined taste and discernment, not any kind of elitist way, but really in way of where are we going to take our culture into the future? If we have discernment and taste, then we'll be better at selecting people to represent the mm -hmm. church into the future. If you come in and you don't have anything to add, then the church really should say, this isn't your calling. And honestly, it's not just with arts that this kind right. of discernment's necessary, even in theology. I can't Absolutely. tell you the number of like theology books that I've read where I'm saying, give me your annotated bibliography, but you're not adding anything to what's already been said. Mm -hmm. Um, the less familiar you are with what's already been said, the harder it is to discern whether a person's really contributing to that conversation. Mm -hmm. And so, we want to give the church the tools as much as possible, as much as we can, to become discerning commissioners so that they can start to navigate the future of culture making and culture care in the church uh, in a way that is productive and, and, and forward moving. Um, and also truly relevant and not just pretend relevant to uh, to where our culture is and, and where we want to see it going. Right. You know? um, yeah. I think to add to that, uh, it's important as individuals that we are educated spectators. I think our culture is influencing us every day in the art it is creating. That has been true throughout history. Art affects the culture. And we need to be able to look at art, whether it's a billboard, whether it's a new song on the radio, whatever it might be. And or if you're looking, if you're standing in front of a painting in a museum, what is this communicating to me? How am I supposed to be responding to this? What is the artist's intent in making this? Am, are they trying to deceive me? Mm -hmm. Are they trying to make me buy something? Mm -hmm. Are they trying to evoke an emotion in me? And so I think if we can look at art history, we can learn the intent of art a little bit more. And we can see how art has affected culture so specifically. And I think we'll be a little bit more educated to know how art today is affecting us as individuals and, and the decisions we make. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, that it has to do with the everyday individual, but it also has to do with pastors and leaders who are responsible for directing and for feeding uh, their sheep and their congregations. Um, they need to know that art is actually a really great reflection of church history. Absolutely. And that uh, if you look at church history and you look at the movement of the arts within the church and religious art especially, which a lot of art is religious, like a massive mm -hmm. amount of art is religious, whether you say it's religious, pagan religious, right. you know, often right. it is pagan religion, but a lot of it is Christian as well. And we need to know how is the church, like 200 years from now, 300 years from now, right. 400 years from now, when people are looking back at our art, they're going to be determining from that art what we have valued. And what are they going to say about us? What are they going to say about us? So, as pastors and leaders, it's like, it's, a, it's actually a really important thing in terms of your legacy and in terms of the future history when people are looking back. 
and they're considering, not only are we sort of directing the course that will run into the future, mm-hmm. but also people are going to be looking back and determining what did you value? What did you think about? What did you consider important? Absolutely. And um, we should take that into account when we're making decisions about Absolutely. these things. Yeah, especially, I mean, especially as Christians, what kind of art are we making? What is it communicating? And I think for pastors and leaders, it is important for them to be aware of what's going on in the arts because it is a direct reflection of what is happening in the culture. Right. And the church, I think, is has been behind. Mm-hmm. We're not leading in those things. We're behind and we're trying to catch up and it's moving too fast. Mm-hmm. And if we're if we're wanting to to lead people greater into the gospel, we need to be aware of what's happening in the arts. We need to be aware of what is affecting our culture and what what is the ideology of our cultures. Mm-hmm. They're reflected in the arts and they always have been. And so a pastor can study a book of church history. He can also look at all of the art throughout every era and learn what was happening in the minds and the, where their faith was as a culture, um, what was important to them spiritually. And, and, and art speaks that. Mm-hmm. And it, it's always going to. Our art is always going to speak about where we are spiritually, what we love, what we're worshiping, etc. And in a lot of ways, much more honestly than maybe the things that we say. Exactly. The, the things that we write or, you know, we think that's going to be our legacy. But if you think about it, I look at art from the 1500s. I don't really read much theology right. from the 1500s. Right. You know? Exactly. I mean, I read some, but like when I'm talking about the Middle Ages or the Renaissance or Baroque era or whatever, I'm much more likely to have received art from that era than anything else. Exactly. And so uh, it really is an important part of, uh, you know, the history that we're leaving behind us and also the way that we're influencing the future. And on a more practical, you know, (laughs) note for Renew the Arts particularly, we love artists. Mm -hmm. We see artists being disenfranchised from the church to a great degree. And part of that is because pastors and leaders do not see the importance of the arts and I think once you start study art history, you realize actually art is massively influential in any given culture. Mm-hmm. And if the church is going to sort of set a course for culture in our time, we really do need to do a better job of shepherding sure. our artists and at least keeping them in the church. For sure. Um, and so learning a little bit how to appreciate and understand their importance is, you know, part, I think, of the job of any pastor in any era. What about for artists, though? Why is art history important for artists? Yeah, I think this is crucial. I, uh, in college, uh, one of my professors, Dr. Sachs, who's actually going to be a guest on, on this series, he once said, if you want to be a master, you have to study the masters. And it's so true. As an artist, it is, it is important. If you want a legacy, you have to look at those who have made a legacy, who have a legacy, who have made a lasting impact on the arts and on culture, and um, and 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 learn from it. Learn from it. What did they do? What were their techniques? What? How were they approaching their canvas, their marble, um, a, a piece of wood, the building? You know, how how are they approaching it? What what is their philosophy behind their art? Uh, what are they trying to communicate? And as an artist, you need to be thinking about those things. What are you communicating? How is this going to affect your audience? How do you want it to move your audience? And 
history history is helpful to us. It te- it's a it's a kind of a guide as an artist of this is what's this is what has moved people. Mm-hmm. Learn from it and be inventive. Create new, but you have to learn from what has has already been done. It's sort of like a know to, the rules in order to break right. the rules. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, there's nothing worse than a person breaking the rules from ignorance. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's like E. e. Cummings, great, you're breaking right. the rules, but you right. know them. Right. Uh, you know, but when you look at somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, right. it's like you're just willy-nilly right. adopting and rejecting things, right. but you don't seem to have any idea of why. It's the same thing with, you know, with language. We adopt and inherit a language from our parents, right. and they adopted and inherited it from their parents right. and from their parents and from their parents. And there's a course and a stream to that language that's gotten us to this point right here. But you really do need to know how that language is being used right. to communicate in any given time. I mean, I can't just look at a word that's been used, you know, that came up in the 1600s and say, that's the way we're going to use it for eternity. It's always the case that it is, it is placed in a stream mm-hmm. and, it's in a, and it's a progression of meaning and communication. And the more aware I am of the way my language is being used in any given time, the more effective I'm going to be in communicating with it. And art is no different than that. There are certain tools in the tool bag of an artist that are designed to communicate certain things. And what those things have communicated in the past is a really important thing. Because I can't just be like, no, I'm going to say that the color blue has no emotional right. components whatsoever right. and that I'm just going to use it in this way because I feel like it. You know, Well, no, people are going to receive communication from that based on the history of that color and its emotional components and its philosophical mm-hmm. components that you don't have any control over. And in order to have control over the way you're communicating, you need to know how it's been used in the past. And so the we'll use a word or I use a word – that may not be familiar uh, to people, but it's it's the it's this Greek idea of ekphrasis. So it means out of the phrase or out of the word. But um, really, ekphrastic uh, art is art that's specifically responsive to another piece of art. And uh, so, for instance, if you were to write a poem about a painting, that would be an ekphrastic poem because that's a piece of art that is you know built on a response to another piece of art. Right. But the reality is, I think, that in a very real way, all art is in some way ekphrastic art. That all art is responding to something else, Mm -hmm. some art that's already been made. And you can really go all the way back to creation and say that maybe the only art that isn't ekphrastic art is God's art. Right. That he sort of sets the original language, the original idea, and then we're constantly in response to that. Absolutely. And we're response to it in terms of nature, but we're also in response to it in terms of what human beings have done with nature. Mm-hmm. How have we organized things? What ideals or conventions have we developed? And there's so you're always going to be in conversation. And if you try to exit yourself from that conversation, it's basically like a person who is saying, I'm not going to adopt language. I'm just going to communicate in grunts and groans. It's like, well, that does communicate something. But it's a much more sophisticated and powerful tool to actually develop an understanding of those conventions and use them in a sophisticated way. Absolutely. And as you grow more mature, you do it more and more. And so because of the fact that art really is ekphrastic in that way, 
and we could even say all art is ekphrastic in that way, artists need to know art history if they're going to enter into that conversation without sounding like babbling idiots. Right. Um, which would not be a good thing, I don't think. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, in terms of entering into the dialogue, entering into communication and conversation, it's really just a po- it's a politeness, it's an etiquette mm-hmm. in some ways, where it's like, I'm not just going to go in and just start using words willy-nilly. Right. If you right. have an idea of what this word means, then we have to sort of agree between the right. two of us so that we can communicate. Right. And that's what art history is about for the artist. It gives a common ground of understanding for the communicative tools that they have available. Exactly. So that they can enter into a dialogue in a productive way. I think to add one more to yeah. that is, you know, there is there has to be a sense of familiarity in art if your audience is going to relate to it or to be impacted by it. And when we look at our history and it's building off of each other, there's always a sense of familiarity to its audience. Whether that's a sculpture from the Renaissance or, or a certain posture or a certain use of color or a certain use of brushstroke. And it builds and it builds and it builds. The audience is, is moving with it because there's all along this similar thread of there's some familiarity and they can understand it. And they, they've seen that before or they can relate to it in some sense. And so I think as artists, it's crucial that your audience is familiar to some extent. There's innovation. There needs to be innovation and there needs to be a sense of familiarity. Right. I've kind of seen this before. Mm-hmm. I can understand. I can relate. There, there's not going to be a lot of impact if someone looks at your piece and has no idea what they're looking at. Right. Has never seen it before. There, yes, maybe that's you know an outlier. You're, you know, you're, you're outside of the norm. Great. But if you want to affect a generation, if you want to affect a culture, your, the culture has to have some familiarity. They have to be able to understand what they're looking at to some extent. Yeah, they at least and have to have a cha- finger and hold. Then they, and then you challenge them. Then you challenge their perspective or you push an, an emotion that they don't like, you know. Um, so there has to be that balance of familiarity, which we see in our history, and building off of that. There has to be innovation. And that's where people will respond to mm-hmm. art. Agreed. So, really, for everyone, art history is vitally important. <laughs> so, listen to us. <laughs> we have justified our season three. <laughs> I hope. Um, oh, man. So, let's take a little bit to explain our approach for season three because we have a few things that we're going to do over the course of this season that we hope are useful to you. Um, and so we're going to tell you a little bit up front about how we're going to approach art history, especially given the fact that we don't have visuals that we can put in front of you. I could hold a painting in front of this microphone, but I'm not sure that it would do you much good. <laughs> no. And so we're going to talk to you a little bit about how we're going to approach that. Allison? Yeah. So our, we be, pretty much have three main approaches. Uh, when we're going to be, we're by and large going to be talking about eras. And we are going to approach them historically. We're going to give you a little introduction to this era, what's going on historically and why it's important. But on, in addition, we're going to talk about what's happening philosophically and ideologically within this era. What, what do these people in this era care about? What do they value? What are they thinking about? And how is that influencing the, work, the works that they're making? Whether that is painting, sculpture, architecture, etc., so, historical, philosophical, ideological, we will hit on that in every episode. And definitely 
focusing in on sort of a basis and a value set for that particular time, which necessitates that we use a little bit of a broad brush approach. Exactly. These are 35 to 40 minute episodes. So it's not like (laughs) we can't talk about everything. So for those of you who are very, very, very familiar with art history, you're probably going to be on the other end of this going, well, I feel like they really skated over this this or that or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, we want to give sort of a large broad brush structure and we hope that it inspires people to go and fill in the details in between and even nuance some of these brush strokes over time absolutely but you know for for a initial approach we're just trying to give you some bones so right put the flesh on the bones as you will but uh you know don't expect that we're going to give you like fine detail Right, exactly. And to, you know, we will be citing some some artwork in here and we plan to give you the the artists and the title. So hopefully when you do have time, uh, whether we provide a link for that or if you just want to Google search while you're listening, if you're not driving or something, um, we hope to provide that too. uh, So you can visually see what we're talking about, because without the visual, it is going to be a little lost. So um, a little lost in translation. But so in addition, you know, to the historical philosophical approach, we also are going to talk about we're just approaching this from a Western art stance. We live in a Western culture. We are completely affected by Western phil- philosophy. And by and large, you know, the biggest movements in art and that we know, you know, as Americans um, or just Europeans as well, that's all Western art. That is the art we're used to. That's the art we're most exposed to. And so uh, we're really just going to dive in there. There's so much more art to cover, um, ancient, Egyptian, African. There, There's a world of art history, um, and, and it's beautiful. And I encourage you, if you feel any sense of passion for it, study it. You'll learn so much about culture. Um, and I, I truly believe, too, God just opens your eyes to how big he really is in the world um, in different cultures and in art. But we are just going to approach from a, restor- a Western art approach because it is what we are familiar with. And as an audience, we believe that you will be most acquainted with the works and the eras we're going to talk about. Right, which we wanted to make sure that you were acquainted. So the third part of our approach is that we're going to be doing broad movements and we're going to try and incorporate two or so major representative figures that we assume you'll probably know. There are minor figures that may have had great influence, but if we mention their names and you don't know them, we're worried that this would lose a great deal of relevance for you. And so we are going to mention names like Michelangelo and Bach and that kind of stuff. The, the artists that you probably are familiar with, but we're going to try to help to incorporate them as representative figures of their particular movement so that the art that you've already seen and might even be familiar with, you can start to piece it together in a movement of art over the course of history. And so that really is the conclusion of, uh, of our introduction. Uh, we hope that you stay with us for this season. We are really excited about doing this. I think that this study is going to be of vital importance for us as we move forward. Um, I hope that this is a series that we can use 
and give to people as a as just a little modular. Like you want a really quick startup on art history mm-hmm. that you can show to your children or that you can show to uh, friends or neighbors that maybe don't have as much familiarity with the arts but are interested. Uh, we hope that this would be something that's engaging and informative and helpful and that really helps you to beautify your life and also to understand the importance of the arts in the church today. We're going to try to bring it back into that. It's not always going to be clear, okay, from episode to episode, why this particular movement or why these particular ideas are directly related to Renew the Arts' mission today. But we hope that at least every so every couple episodes or so, we'll sort of do a clearinghouse of the different philosophical movements and show you, don't you see how this movement which came to this, which came to this, has now influenced us in these ways. And we've actually adopted a lot of these ideas because of this. I think that'll help. And if you just stick with us, I think that you will find there's a lot of really good material and a lot of meat to chew on in this that should be very beneficial to you as you move forward as a patron and as an artist. Beautiful. Said it greatly. (laughs) All right, so we're going to leave you with a classical guitar piece. Um, And this is going to be played by one of our sponsored artists. You might have heard some of his music in the band Physic, but he's a classically trained classical guitarist, and his name is Philip Hodges. And he's going to be finishing most of our episodes with, we're hoping, a piece that is somewhat representative musically of the era that we were talking about in the episode. So we hope you enjoy it. Thanks. just heard was Opus 35, number 13, by Spanish guitar composer Fernando Sor, who lived from 1778 to 1839.